And when the Lord Jesus has become your peace, remember, there is another thing, goodwill towards men. Do not try to keep Christmas without goodwill towards men. Welcome back to this special episode of the Go to Hell podcast. Strong opinions weekly held about Christianity, the church, and beer. I'm your host, Santa Claus, and I'm joined by my co-host, Buddy the Elf. Buddy, how's it going? <laughs> You're not Santa. <laughs> I don't even know what Will Ferrell says. You watched it last night. What does he say to the guy when he says, You're not Santa. You're not Santa? What You're is an he, imposter. What does he say that he know. smells like? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to remember what he says that he smells like, because that's what I would say. Uh, <laughs> How are you doing, Colton? I'm doing good. Uh, this is gonna might be a noisy episode. We're recording in my office, which is at the front of the house, and my lawn, my landscaper, yes, I have a landscaper, is tending to my front yard and then i have a house full of grandchildren who are very loud uh, girls so um but whatever it's a saturday it is a saturday um i'm actually doing extremely well i'm on winter break now so uh i've got the next three weeks off which is awesome um it's one of the perks of my job uh (laughs) i think i was talking with someone i was talking with someone yesterday and she was like yeah, she's a small animal that she was like, yeah, I only work like three days a week. And I was like, oh, man, lucky. Um, and I was like, I say that. But meanwhile, I'm off for three weeks. So and I also only work from 830 to three o'clock in the afternoon. Like, right. So, oh, you know, um, uh, so but I am very excited to be uh, off for three weeks for three days a week by myself. And so I'm really excited about that getting the spend some time with our baby um i'm nervous infants make me nervous and (laughs) i do well with kids that i can communicate with and i don't feel like i can communicate with infants very well so um i'm gonna do my best (laughs) as dad but still definitely intimidated by it but other than that doing really well how are you um a mix i've uh, life's generally going pretty well. I'm getting over a cold, which is just what happens this time of year, uh, particularly when I'm around children. Schools are petri dishes for all kinds of uh, pestilence, and when I get around them because I'm in the house by myself and my immune system, I don't think, is used to uh, the hustle and bustle of being around people on a daily basis, um, I get a cold, but this one's it's just a simple cold. But uh, And then... You know, I'm going to be kind of real for a minute. I have a uh, nemesis in my life, and that's about all I can say. And uh, he's causing quite a lot of mischief. And so, um, you know, this being kind of a, if you're a listener to this, this is kind of church small group for us. I can't tell you who it is, but just if you're listening to this, pray for me for like the next couple of months for quite a while. And I'm, I'm, this is all quite serious. This isn't shtick. Uh, Colton knows. Yeah. Uh, someone's just causing a lot of trouble in my life. And so, uh, you know, sometimes when you're in a small group, you can share who that person is. And a lot of times it's just kind of a vague thing. And that's what we're kind of doing. What I'm asking for here is just keep me in your prayers that, uh, 
Jesus will protect me where he sees it fit and I will learn to grow from this or, you know, how to handle situations that are going to be coming up on a regular basis uh, with this individual. So that's all I'm going to say. But so keep me in mind for that. But other than that, it is Christmas time. Yeah. It's a serious request, but I also want to say it's Christmas time. And so there's a lot to be happy about and uh, festive and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. Do that in. What are we drinking? Uh, we are drinking. Uh, it is bowl season, and uh, though I don't, what bowl is USC? They are not bowling. They didn't get a bowl game. No, no, wait, no, they're in the. No, sorry, wait. they're in ho- the holiday bowl. Oh, the holiday bowl, the one that takes place on Christmas, Christmas Eve. I think it's Christmas. It's not Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. Down in San Diego, still at Qualcomm. Yes, and and now it's at Petco. Interesting. Qualcomm got blown up. Did it? I don't know. And they moved it to Petco, and I'm, I don't, I'm sure they probably have a contract with Petco, and as soon as that contract's up, they'll probably move it to Snapdragon. Although being at Petco is actually pretty nice for the for a bowl because you've got out of town fans, and so they show up all, you know, they turn it into a. They want to get them. Little fact: if you're wondering why bowls exist, they literally started because. Cities that have that either rely on uh, tourism or have a healthy tourism uh, uh, industry decided to do these bowl games so that they had people travel when travels down. People don't normally travel during December unless they're going to see family. Well, these cities that rely on it, particularly in Florida would then put these bowl games on or New Orleans to get people to show up. And so uh, San Diego is the same way. And so you want to get people to show up, spend dollars that they wouldn't be normally spending at hotels and restaurants and all that. So all that little background of a history as to why these stupid games exist to begin with. It makes sense, I guess, even though you're playing in a baseball, literally a baseball park, that they come in, they stay in downtown San Francisco or somewhere in that general area and then spend San Francisco dollars at, all the restaurants and bars in San Diego is what you meant, not San Francisco. Sorry, San Diego. Yeah, I know you were distracted San by Diego. the. You, no, you were distracted. You were like, "Well, I guess the Oakland people have been playing in freaking." <laughs> that's what you were thinking. You were like, "Everybody in Oakland's been playing in a baseball stadium." Bro. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. In uh, San Diego, and then spend all those dollars there. So rather than go over to, what's well, Snapdragons in? San Diego, but I think it's over by... I haven't been there yet. I think it's over by the... I haven't been uh, to Snapdragon. I don't know if it's where Qualcomm used to be. It probably is. Anyway, but it's at, also smaller. Just go play at San Diego State spot. Is that the Snapdragon? Yeah, Snapdragon's where San Diego State plays and the women's soccer team. Oh. And I'm sure the MLS sure team when they get an there. MLS team. I'm sure it's gorgeous there. Oh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, well, it's San Diego, so it can't be that rough. So anyway, that roundabout, very much distraction. Uh, we're drinking uh, the Fight on uh, Pale Ale from uh, Stone. Which uh, we've had before. We have had before, and we've had it on the show, but I, I, I don't feel like we've done enough justice to it. We're, it's a delicious Pale Ale. It's got to be great if I'm allowing USC shit in my house. So. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it is spectacular. Yeah, it's it's got the perfect... It's It's got... Maybe some of the best bitterness I've ever had on a beer. It's not really... only, not only. Wait a minute, hold on. And for everybody that's listening, not only did Tim put this in his house, 
Because the first time that we tried it, I brought it to his house. Not only did he let it in his house, he ordered it himself. And then at his birthday party last week was trying to get people to try it, <laughs> which is insane. If it says fight on on there, he's like, get that shit out of my house. <laughs> so Stone, you've won him over. Not on USC, but you've won him over on a beer. No. That he is very reluctant. It's a, it's a phenomenal. <laughs> it's very much a beer for uh, spoiled children. <laughs> he has to say something every time. <laughs> it is really, really tasty. It's a good beer. I wonder if rich parents had to pay in, for their kids to drink this beer. <laughs> hey, it's che- it's actually, and also that's the thing. It's like what is well, I don't know. If it's cheap in like the the grand scheme of things because I mean, like you could go to the if you're listening to this, yes, you can go and you could buy a thirty rack of Coors Light for thirty bucks. But for a Stone Four Pack, it's actually cheaper than if you were to get like their cold IPA or anything like that. So, I think I paid like, fifteen. Is it fifteen? I think it's sixteen. Pack? I think it's four 16, pack. So that's so not it's much. You're four bad, bucks what, a beer. Yeah, like, you're gonna pay at a at a store, a liquor store. Uh, yeah, so it's really really tasty. I didn't check to see what, how much shipping was. Yeah, but, shipping's ten bucks. That's always the hard part. It's that's even better because it was like I I fi- I like ordered it and figured like ah it'll be here in like five seven days and it was here in like two days. Yeah, exactly. That's how it's been every single time. I've tried to order something for the podcast and I'll be like ah it won't be here by Tuesday and then well lo and behold it shows up. Yeah, Sunday I on, afternoon. I was on there this week shop looking around. Um, Nothing new, though. Next segment, what are you listening to this week? Uh, Christmas music, of course. The Stones. Christmas. Well, the Stones Christmas album. <laughs> <laughs> Little drummer boy. <laughs> uh, no, I Christmas music mostly. Uh, in fact, I have something to say about that. Um, Let's hear it. And the Christmas music I enjoy is pretty much like the old stuff, like Sinatra, uh, Nat King Cole, um, some of the newer, similar, like... Mariah Carey, I got you, the old stuff. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Uh, I also do enjoy me some uh, Do They Know It's Christmas. Do they know it's Christmas? Do they know it's Christmas time at all? It's Christmas time. There's no need to be afraid. You don't know the song? No, I don't. It preceded We Are the World. Do we know we know we are the world? We are the world. We are the children. I thought you knew okay, about the Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so We Are the World. I know that from some other reference. Okay, so mid eighties were I've never, I've never like listened to "We Are the World," but I know that it is. Holy smokes! Okay, don't. I mean, don't hate me for not knowing. I don't hate you. I'm. It's not hate. It's you. You seem to know. You punch above your weight when it comes to knowing '80s and '70s references. So I'm always so like I'm not. Well, like I'm not. If it had been other people within your age group, I would have been like, okay, whatever. So I mean, what I'm saying is. I understand the reference, but I don't know if I understand the, f- the like, the fullness of the reference. If that makes sense, so like, like, I, like I understand your illusion that you're making to "We Are the World," because I which under- is it's it's a, a bunch under- of a bunch I, of artists get together, yes. cut a record, and they're raising money for 
people starving in Africa. That which I know, and I've heard it referenced. I'm pretty sure in either comedy or or movies or other people's music, but I don't think I've ever actually listened to it. So the so. Brits did want a version, and I believe if. Let me know if I'm incorrect, or I'll check myself out. We'll do a fact check, uh, clean up on aisle five on the next episode. And nobody comments on our shit, anyways. Yeah, it's true. Uh, I'll, <laughs> we'll do. I'll do a cleanup. But I, I believe, do they know it's Christmas? Preceded, we are the world. Obviously, came around Christmas time. It's a all star of British musicians. It was put together by Bob Geldof, who did uh, Band Aid. The big concert thing. Live Aid? Live Aid uh, that is talked about in the Queen movie and stuff like that. <laughs> that's the only thing that we know it from. Well, that's what you know it from. <laughs> no, I knew it before that. I'd how seen... do you not know about How do you know about that and not We Are the World? Okay, anyway. So, what do you mean, how do I know about it? So, are you saying that We Are the World is bigger than Live Aid? It was at the time. But which one has carried through time more? I, well, someone my age would say that they're hand in hand. Anyway, no. we're getting way off. No, yes. <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you could say yes, but I'm like. So they, they get together and they do this Christmas song, and I really enjoy the Christmas song. But I have to just point out the, just the utter stupidity, the banality, <sighs> empty-headedness of these lyrics. And uh, do, you, do you have them printed out? I do. I do. <laughs> Because they're just so delicious. And so, so who's singing in the song? Uh, you got uh, Phil Collins playing the drums. Boy George is singing. You got George Michael singing the song. Simon LeBon from Duran Duran. Sting is in it. Bono. Um, and then some other folks oh, in the United States. I get know. you. I get you. I've got a perfect analogy for this. This is... The AT&T Stadium, when George Strait and all the country musicians sing All My Exes Live in Texas. That's <laughs> that's what you got here. I got okay. you. I got you. You got Shania Twain. You got Eric Church. So, you got Kenny Chesney, Alan Jackson. So I get you. We're, we're, we're singing to raise money for kids in Ethiopia, and this is what we sing. It's Christmas time. There's no need to be afraid. Of course not. At Christmas time, we lit in the light, and we banish shade. What does that mean? Exactly. What the hell does that mean? Uh, well, I and mean, that's literary and then and then and then Boy George sings, and in our world of plenty, we can spread a smile of joy. Okay, that's nice. Throw your arms around the world at Christmas time. Okay, and then George Michael and Simon Lebon kick in, but say a prayer. Pray for the other ones. At Christmas time, this is this is great. At Christmas time, it's hard, but when you're having fun. What? At Christmas time, it's hard, but when you're having fun. And then Simon Lebon and Sting kick in. There's a world outside your window, and it's a world of dread and fear. And then Sting and Simon Lebon sing, Where the only water flowing is the bitter sting of tears. <laughs> and then Bono and Sting sing together, so and they sing. And the Christmas bells that ring there are the clanging chimes of doom. Then Bono sings, Well, tonight, thank God it's them instead of you. What? British colonial. 
And there won't be snow in Africa this Christmas time. Yeah, there's about, I don't know, 52, 56 countries in Africa. Maybe eight of them get snow all at like 10,000 feet. There's generally not snow, snow in Christmas, even when there's not a drought. The greatest gift they'll get this year is life. Where nothing ever grows, no rain or rivers flow. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? Here's to you, raise a glass for everyone. Here's to them, underneath that burning sun. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? And then we sing over and over again. Feed the world, feed the world. And then let them know it's Christmas time. Anyway, love the song. I sing along every time I hear it, but have to be some of the stupidest lyrics ever put on paper. No, it's British colonialism. That's what wrote that song right there. Okay, well, Mr. We Are the World over here. How to get it off my... Well, it's Christmas time. So I had to get it off uh, my chest. Yeah, that's really... Yeah, those are bad lyrics. Nobody should... I mean, you can listen to that song if you want. If you're like, this is the heart of Christmas. And you're not thinking that Mariah Carey's is... Whatever. <laughs> Um, I have not been listening to Christmas music because I'm a heathen. Um, I've also been listening to Handel's Messiah, just want to say, which I love. The first half of it, because the second half is Easter. We talked about okay, so you, okay, let's talk about a, a song that I've been listening to. So you got specific with the song. I'm gonna get specific with the song. There was something that just I had an itch. So I have, I've talked about this before. I have a, I have a class. I call it my classroom licks, uh, playlist, um, and it's songs that I play for my kids. And again, I've talked about this before. My 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 classroom looks like a skate shop. <laughs> it looks like if you walked into Tilly's, that's what my classroom looks like, um, or a Zoomies or whatever. Um, and, and so the music that I like to play is a little bit more pop punk kind of stuff, uh, things that, um, and it's early 2000s alternative rock, usually maybe late 1990s, that kind of stuff. Um, but kind of going in between there and like the latest things that I have on that playlist are probably 2008. I say that maybe maybe an artist that was really popular in 2008 had like a hit in like 2015 or 16 or something, and then I'll probably put that on the playlist or something. But that being said, one of my favorite songs that I love listening to right now, and maybe you know it, maybe you don't. <laughs> I don't know why it just came over me over the past week. I've been singing it. My wife's like, can you stop singing that song? Because I sing it in the same annoying voice that the and it what sparked it was I saw a video of this guy talking and he just basically was talking about what came up with the song. Um, is he's playing his acoustic guitar and he just leans back and he's just like, her name is Noel, and he's just like screaming and his like bandmates are like, you sound like a girl. And he's like, yeah, I know, but and he like keeps drumming or whatever, and like goes from there. And some of you guys are like, I know exactly what song this is, and it's Teenage Dirtbag, where teenage I'm just a teenage dirtbag baby who listens to Iron Maiden. <laughs> it's like, 
I was like, this song is so, it's like early thousands. You're looking at like 2001, 2002, I think, for this song. I, you're going to, Tim, go listen to this song. You're going to be like, this song's actually pretty good. But the guy like purposely puts on an annoying voice and he's imitating teenagers. <laughs> like, <laughs> so he's got like this whole thing, but it's, it's pretty pop. It's pop punk is what it is, or early thousands alternative rock. Um, oh, I, t- I typed in teenage and first thing came up was teenage dirtbag. Yeah. I was like, hey, play it. I by like, Weedus? Yeah, by Weedus. I think it's a little Weedus. I was like, you probably heard this. I... Here we go. Oh, I remember that. So he started by just leaning back and he just played this on his acoustic guitar. And he doesn't sound like this. Like, if you hear his interview, he's like... And so I keep, I am just like walking around my house and I'm just like, I'm just a teenage <laughs> dirtbag baby. And my wife's like, shut up. And I was like, I can't get it out of my head. I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's, I don't know where, like, I just watched that, that video from him and I'm just like, I can't get it out of my head. I can't. I'm like, and she's like, you suck. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. This is what it is. You got to deal with it. It's in my head, and therefore it's going to stay there until it leaves. So um, I've probably listened to that song probably like 10 or 12 times this week. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to overplay it to where I'm like, oh, my gosh, that song's so annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's not working. I've actually enjoyed it every no. time. No. Come on. Weedus. So if you guys going to want to go listen to uh, a song about teenage angst, can go listen to Teenage Dirtbag. He listens to Iron Maiden, so I mean. There you go. <laughs> uh, all right, so this is a special Christmas episode. Wait, it's... do we have What the X? Oh, you know what? What the X? I think I have a couple of What the X. Oh, I do. Uh, I was like, you can't sit there and say that we have a What the X as our. <laughs> okay, so one What the X what is. So I'm going to do. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to. If you've grown up in the church. You've probably had a pastor who tells jokes that are like five years too old and tries to like pass them off like he just heard him. Dude, did you see the video? That no, it's not trying to pass it off like he just heard him. He just heard him, but he's like five years behind the curve. So I, I might be quoting a, a meme here that's been around for five years, but just so everyone feels like they're in church for the day, uh, bear with me. So what, what were you going to say? I was like, did you see the SNL skit that I sent you this morning? I did. It was fantastic. <laughs> Although the, some of their choices of music seem more like uh, non-denominational church than Catholic. <laughs> like yeah. when the when the uh, girl who's over singing is uh, the well, the not the well beneath my, the whatever that song is. I'm like, yeah, that's like. That's like evangelical church from the 80s. So, what, I was like the pastor that's making the joke. I was like, the, oh, yeah. I was like, Catholic priests don't make no. those jokes. <laughs> no, the the Catholic priest though singing out uh, on a very tempo was, was hysterical. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Um, so it's a uh, it's one of these uh, icons. Uh, so if, if you don't know what an icon is, icons, various things. Uh, one is a, well, it's not, it's not an icon. It basically, it's. One of these paintings uh, from the Renaissance or Byzantine era uh, that used to be in Bible in Bibles, 
Bibles used to be picture books, basically, with some scriptures. So it's the wise men visiting uh, b- baby Jesus at the uh, manger. Four years later. And, oh, uh, at the manger, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's little baby Jesus with a halo around it. It's, it's very... Oh. Uh, so, and then there's a uh, word bubble above one of the wise men, and it says, just to be perfectly clear, these gifts are for your birthday and Christmas. <laughs> That's a good one. That's good. Yeah, and actually what's really funny about that is, and I say this because my wife's birthday is December 21st, so we got like four days, and she's a heathen baby because like, or actually a pagan baby because she's born on the winter solstice. So, you know, um, (laughs) but uh, yeah, do we always... My wife has been very adamant that she does not want the same gift for her birthday as for Christmas. You got to get her two separate ones. Um, so, so my mom's is it's Christmas, so she's a Christmas baby. That's and awesome. So, uh, she's never been that adamant about it, but I I did quote her that I read it to her this morning, and she very much uh, she knew what Jesus would do, basically. <laughs> uh, all right, so I think I have one, and it's not a funny one. It's actually. It's not a funny one, and it's not a, uh, what the hell? It's actually it's a it, it's right in line with much of what we talk about on the show. So, uh, my glasses. Anyway, uh, this is nah, I'm not gonna. It's from a Franciscan friar, and he says it is my abject conviction. Uh, it is my abject conviction after 26 years as a Catholic priest. Perhaps the greatest danger in American Christianity is that we have replaced religion with politics. In this, we have taken all of the worst elements of religion and adapted them to our politics. We have decided that we belong to a party more than we belong to Christ. When our church says something that our politics don't agree with, we abandon our church or condemn it. With the best of intentions, Democrats and Republicans entered in entered their party of choice in the hopes of transforming to be more like their faith. The opposite happened. We transformed our faith to align with our politics. And now, I don't think it is an exaggeration to say that we are doomed. To my religious brothers and sisters that read this, repent. You have put your trust in men and women. You have aligned yourselves to demons cloaked in a veneer of concern for the poor or concern for the unborn, repent, Jesus is calling. Which is funny because I actually, I appreciate that sentiment because if I'm being honest and I was like, a guy that I met last night, I, I told him about our podcast and um, and he said he wanted to give it a listen to. And I said, well, I mean, it was like, I was like, I'm sorry for it being overly long. Every episode's a little too long, but, you know, uh, we don't apologize for it in the same way that we sit there and we say, you know, like, this is our Bible study. This is our time to discuss matters and and challenge one another and, and grow. And uh, But at the same time, I will be honest. I was like, so, Ben, if you're listening to this, I was like, I can, I can be honest about the whole, like, we've – We've made politics become our faith so much that yesterday Ben asked me a question and I was extremely skeptical about sharing it because I was like, I don't know if I'm just going to be written off if I give my honest opinion on this particular subject, which is not 
ideal, right? Like we should be listening to people, hearing people out. Um, and we ended up having a discussion where we talked about how we, where we don't necessarily agree, but still understanding that we can learn something from other people where it's like, okay, we don't have to agree, but there's still something that I can learn about you and I learn about and about the world based off of your perspective. And, and that was something that was really genuine. But I think that the way that politics are is that as soon as somebody disagrees with whatever it is that you believe politically, we just write them completely off and say, this is a hoax and you're out. And, and that's what I'm getting at with that conversation last night was I was afraid that if I opened my mouth too much, then I was going to be completely written off from the start of the conversation. Like I was like, okay. Um, and Ben turned out to be a great guy who, who was understanding and, and was able to build on our conversation and i don't i i doubt that we align perfectly on whatever it is that we were discussing we were able to, so um but we were able to find common ground and have a conversation about it um which is which is what i would hope for the rest of christianity but right now in our world that we live in i i don't think that it can happen or i don't think that people are are trying to make that happen is what i should say no, we're actively, we, you appropriately said goats and sheep, and we, we had a recent episode called Goats and Sheep, and that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're running around, we being Americans, but Christians as well. We're, active, we're actively looking to see who, who we can say is uh, an enemy or a wretched person or some kind of ist, some 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 kind of word that ends in ist, and I completely agree. I think I'm. <clears throat> I think sometimes we tell ourselves, well, you know, I'm going to start listening to news and kind of, and other things from other uh, opposing views, so I get more of a opposing view. And I, you know, I don't find that helpful. What I find helpful is sitting down, particularly if it's somebody I already know, and I come to find out they have a 180 view on the world than I do on a particular subject is it completely it completely humanizes the conversation and it makes it very difficult to say well you have this view about vaccines that are completely different than mine well apparently you're not a monster because I know you about all these other things and it also can be quite revelatory like I thought I knew you for 20 years and on this one thing you're gonna be like well you're a piece of shit and or you know you apparently hate Jews or you're you hate science or you, you know, you are all about freedom and you don't care at all. So whatever the thing that you're fighting over and someone's willing to give up friendship over, you know, that's that's unfortunate. I don't think you should walk away from that that friendship either. I think or you the should, relationship. Absolutely not. You should come back to that person later and say, hey, this isn't worth losing a friendship over or a family member over. But I think nine times out of ten. It never gets to that point because someone's just like, oh, wow, I didn't know I knew someone who thought that way. And then you have the conversation. The other thing with having the conversations is, and you and I kind of talk about this once every four or five months. We try to remind everybody who listens to this. We're very, we sound very sure of ourselves because it's just the two of us talking. But again, if you if you're listening to this and you disagree with us on something, I guarantee you we'd be much less sure of ourselves on a lot of things we talk about because 
Yeah. When I got someone pushing back on me, it's like, yeah, that's a good point. I, you know, I hadn't thought about that or I had thought about that and that's something to consider. And so while I believe what I think about this certain aspect of Christianity or the church or whatever, I accept that I might be wrong and, 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 or the, the subject's more nuanced than how we've laid out in the podcast. And so I think that's the other reason why it's good to have conversations with people because you just, you, it, softens the edges and you're less walking around with really sharp elbows and making definitive statements and this is the thing and you know if you don't believe in this then you're terrible and you're an enemy of whatever yeah and i uh actually i think a really good example of this is um in college uh we did a oh uh what was our class called um Oh man, what was it? it? Was an ethical studies class, not an ethical, um, not ethical studies. It was uh, what did I say? Ethical. Uh, oh, what's the term that I'm looking for? It was a studies. It was based in history, and it was. It's not a gender studies. It was a ethnic studies. Ethnic. Oh, Thank I was going to make the joke. I, I was. Gonna... I know that was all right. I was like, why did I say ethic? And I was like, because it was ethnic studies. So I had an ethnic studies class in college. Um, I don't know why I couldn't find that word in my brain. Um, so we're we're in this ethnic studies class, and we're reading a book written by a Japanese man about basically the uh, talking about uh, all the different races that had come into the United States and and brief chat every chapter was about a different race and basically what they went through through the the process of getting citizenship into the united states and and yeah there's there's lots of horrific uh stuff that happens in this process and and so we're reading through that and we get to the african-american section um and we're and we had read through that chapter and that particular night on for our assignment was we had to in class we had to read about a a conversation um that an african-american journalist had had with a in like the 60s i think or maybe it was a little bit later maybe it was like the 70s or 80s um that he had had with a um i don't know he was a dragon celestial dragon is my guess so an african-american journalist was went out of his way to try his best to have a conversation with one of the head leaders of oh of the kkk KKK. yeah they got those crazy crazy ass yeah i don't know designations um so but he this guy was in line to eventually be again not knowing i he was supposed to be is it the grand wizard or whatever it's supposed to be the the guy who's in charge of like the whole operation the grand gandalf of the kkk yeah exactly um but don't put gandalf in <laughs> i mean I, I get it people claim that tolkien's a racist but like don't put gandalf in there with that okay the sweet saruman give him saruman there you go yeah i was like um the so, sassy saruman of the so this guy was adamant he's like i want to have a conversation with this guy and and so eventually the guy actually agreed and i've they, heard of this story yeah and they yeah, sat down so, and they yeah. had a conversation and the guy was like you know like let's have another one um and so they had a conversation, and and one of the observations that the journalist had made was he was, he was like he never. He never said that I was the problem, right? Like he continued to sit there and say like I wasn't the problem and stuff, and he was like, and actually that became the foundation of, us being able to build a relationship, 
was it was you know well it's the other blacks it's not you it's you know the other ones and all this kind of stuff and eventually they were able to develop a, a relationship to where that guy eventually in and he had to eventually that guy had to face a decision he, yeah he faced a decision where he's like because he was so and like for lack of a better term he was well binary is the is the better term but for anybody where it's on or off or black and white it was yeah. this idea where he had such contrasted images in his mind where he's like well if you are able to cross over and be something that is significantly more human than i thought you were and we develop a relationship and a friendship then this is significantly more gray than i ever ex ever thought that it could be and for both that, gentlemen for both gentlemen and yeah. Uh, yeah i was like for he talked about how much he grew and how much uh how much this kkk leader grew and it, he eventually walked away from the kkk and actually started working with african americans in the community um and trying to grow um you know and became almost not exactly a civil rights activist but became an advocate for um african-americans and other people's community and it was because of that relationship aspect and it's something that's preached about on a regular basis where again we we write people off all the time where it's like okay well you're the, a part of this crowd so therefore i don't associate with you and and we've become in a sense prejudicial I, you're being nice about it. Yeah, you're being at at best it's prejudicial. At worst, it's dehumanizing. Yeah, and, and I think <clears throat> I think we sit around and blame the culture, and we'll try to wrap this up because we have a whole other thing. This uh, Colton certainly didn't plan on this conversation, so but I it, we stumbled into something important. Um, I think. The church sits around and tries to blame the culture for changing. And I think that the culture in a lot of ways learned from 20th century Christianity and we're now it's boomerang back on us and Chris, too many times 20th century Christianity, whether it be Protestant or Catholic was setting down rules and demonizing those outside of those rules and then employing politics and government to implement those rules when we were really adamant about that. And it's now, it's now completely taken over the culture. Everything is about finding someone who disagrees with you, demonizing them, and then dehumanizing them. And that's what I find. I think that's why if you're listening to this and we won't go into Israel and Palestine in detail, but that's why I think to summarize why Colton and, by, and I have been bringing it up is and why we, we've kind of, even though we've picked on Israel a lot, just to kind of show that they're not what a lot of Christians think of as this like great, you know, God's it's not the creation. City on the hill. Right. It's not, it's not cause I'm siding with the Palestinians. In fact, I don't really side with either side. It's, it's what I what I what I really am tired of is seeing Americans who have no skin in the game demonizing and dehumanizing people who don't agree with them 
and maybe even people who do have skin in the game, if you're Jew, if someone's Jewish and they've lost family members, but it's still, it doesn't give you a right to dehumanize someone who disagrees with you or is raising questions about what's going on. And we just keep seeing one thing after another. And I don't see the, the church seems to be, well, I think you and I and people like the Jesus Collective and a lot of, there's aspects of the church that are learning about this and saying like, Look, we can have opinions about gay marriage. We can have opinions about LBGTQ. We can have it about transgenderism. We can have and we need to have opinions about it. But what we can't do is what we've done so many times, which is set that as a boundary and then dehumanize the people who don't who fall outside that boundary. Yeah. And both sides and what's remarkable, the guy's attached in the tweet that I, the the X that I read, he's attached a graph. Both sides, Democrats and Republicans, if you look at the amount of more, basically it's the more political both sides have gotten, the, the amount of, so actually Democrats have gotten more political in the last, I don't know what the years were, the the same amount of church, of church attendance, which is a very crude but only way really good way or not a good way it's the only way we can judge whether or not at this point it's it's a crude very crude inaccurate way but if you want to judge use church attendance as a way of some kind of some way of determining whether or not someone's a quote-unquote christian it it is interesting to see that both republicans and democrats the more they get in politically involved church attendance has dropped and it's because we're replacing one religion with another. 100%. There wasn't really a relationship with Jesus. We weren't really disciples of Jesus. We weren't learning to love one another. We weren't learning to be sacrificial. We weren't learning to turn the other cheek. We weren't learning to lean in and grab the the violence tool, whether it be physical violence or verbal violence. We weren't doing that. We were just, we'd replaced one religion, which is what, Jesus came to 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 undo. Yeah. And we've replaced it with another and people have found that unsatisfactory b- because religion can now no longer achieve what they want to do which is force other people to do what they want them to do. So now we're going to turn government into our religion and being a progressive or a conservative or a democrat or a republican or whatever it is. And so, yeah, the church is like left standing there like, "Oh, shucks, what happened?" Well, in large part, we created this mess. Right. Yeah, I think. I think that we that we have created this mess um, where, you know, you're you're in or you're out. And it's it's a part of our faith where we believe, again, things are so binary. Um, And that's why Tim brought up the sheeps and the goats kind of thing is is you're either you're in or you're out yeah everything's binary it's that binary is a perfect term it's a great term to have in your verbal toolbox because it, it describes so many things and everything to this day to these days is binary you're you're in or you're out and as kingdom people is that what we're saying is that nobody nobody is ever out you can't have that mindset you can't you can't sit there and think that those people are out. Um, again, I had a conversation with somebody last night, and we talked about the fact that 
that we can learn and grow from every single person. Um, and honestly learn and grow. I'm not sitting there saying that you sit there and you view people like a freaking science experiment where you're just like, oh, that's fascinating and I can learn from that and and you have these ulterior motives. And I was like, if you have an ulterior motive, it's your ulterior motive should be that you just want to love on that person. Yeah. <laughs> and not and not the iron sharpens iron love that person is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about sitting there and just be like, man, I'm I'm really happy for you and and that kind of stuff and and really care for that person and what care looks like. Um, that's the important part. Um, but yeah, we sit there and we're like, and oh, we have a method to our madness and all this kind of stuff, and we have this alternative agenda and 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 that's not that's not helpful every single person is a sheep and we should continue to look at people as or look as people as sheep as and not as goats where you're on the other side you're divided you're away from us nobody is that far gone in our world because jesus hasn't come back yet if you, even if you sit there and you believe that jesus is the one that divides them jesus is the one that divides them not you Correct. Exactly. And what he wants from you is he wants you to go and forsake the 99 for the one. And so you go and you get those people and you bring them back. You make them sheep. Yeah. And not overly aggressively. Like, I, I feel like I said that aggressively to where you're like, oh, yeah, like, come on. And like, this is what you need. Beat them over the head with a Bible and all that kind of stuff. No, that's not what I'm talking about. So you sit there and you show them love. And basically what I was getting at when I was talking about with the with the KKK member and the African-American journalist is it's that relationship. African-American man, they went and they had coffee and they, and they grew and developed as people through a genuine relationship where they eventually cared for one another because people will do things for people that they care about and for who they love. And so and that's what Jesus was getting at is that we can change this world <clears throat> with relationships that we build with other people. Where if you genuinely love and care for other people, you can change the world. Because people will do anything for people that they love. Well, that's a perfect segue to what we're going to talk about next. Which perfect. I don't know if you planned that or not, but that I was a hell of a segue. I did it. So, but we need another beer. We need another beer. And then we're going to talk about... We're we're now going to do a movie review, and if you listen to this, you're like, oh my god, they're an hour in, and they're going to do a three-hour mu- movie review? In? Yeah, Is we are. true? Are we an hour we in? We are an hour in. <laughs> All right, so we're going to do a movie review. And yeah, again, you're thinking, oh my god. So we're not going to do... Scene by scene, like we have in the other three movies we've done, we're going to do more of a just general uh, thoughts about the movie. So this is a movie, you watch this movie every year? I watch it every year. I have not watched it in quite a long time, having watched it. We just watched it before we start. We watched yeah, it and then we started like, recording. Literally one hour ago. <laughs> um, I'm going to make it part of my, like so many Americans, my... Uh, a ritual for Christmas along with uh, Elf and Christmas Story and, of course, Die Hard. Um. Okay, wait a minute. Hold up. Actually, we're going to clear the air right now. 
No, and I'm not even gonna say Die Hard, because that's not. I don't feel like that's helpful for this. And maybe it's not helpful. I, and we haven't and, said the movie. Do we need to say the movie? No, I was like, okay. don't even say the movie yet. That's fine. I'm. I'm not gonna say Die Hard because Die Hard's whatever. <laughs> no, I. This is important because everybody says that Home Alone is a Christmas movie. Is Home Alone a Christmas movie, or is it just a movie that takes place during Christmas? Well, it's funny. The movie we're going to talk about isn't much of a Christmas movie. Ah, I thought about this, too, while we were watching it. Where I, I was, was like, watching it. I was like, it's remarkable that this is a Christmas movie, and it's only a Christmas movie in the last I fully agree. 20 minutes. I fully agree. Now, we had, there's a running joke. A mutual friend of ours, Jordan, He, I have no, no idea how much he really believes this, but he's got a shtick, running shtick that Die Hard's a Christmas movie. I go along with it. It's got, you know, it's a great scene where he's by himself in the air vent and he lights have his lighter laughs. and says, come to the coast, have a few laughs. Uh, so the movie we're talking about is It's a Wonderful Life and it's a Christmas staple. It before cable well even with cable you could find it running 24 7 it was before christmas movie on tbs tnt whatever it's on was and probably still is the equivalent it's probably on like turner movie classics all the time right now i don't know but is it a christmas movie well it's it's become a christmas movie i don't know why it was not meant it was not intended as a christmas movie and i'm i, I will fully get, agree i will get into the background of the movie once we kind of give our thoughts about it but um i mean it it's as much a even though it's set at the end for christmas it's it's frankly more of a easter movie than it is a christmas movie um <laughs> well and i I don't know. That's but that's also my thing with I, I think with Die Hard with everybody's like Home Alone, bro. People think that Harry Potter is a Christmas movie, so like they're like Christmas happened in the Harry Potter movie, so therefore it's a Christmas movie. How does that make it a Christmas movie? Like I don't. It's not. A, I think what resonates about the movie. We're I'm. We're gonna assume you've watched the movie. If you haven't, then stop right now. Go look it up on Wikipedia or find some like basic. A description of what the movie is or stop and watch the it and then yeah. listen to what we're going to say but um i think it's a chris i don't i think the reason why the movie resonates is because so many people that movie is a reflection of how unhappy actually the holidays are for a lot of people 100%. And we consume a lot of bullshit movies that are all about how wonderful life is and, and kids getting gifts and, and making wishes and Santa Claus and all of this nonsense when, in fact, from Thanksgiving to New Year's, the holiday season including Christmas, maybe in particular Christmas, is a miserable, lonely time of year for people who either don't have enough to keep up with the Joneses or are lonely and broken because of relational 
relationships being broken or um, kind of what's going on in this movie. Uh, a war's just been fought and you're coming home and having to deal with it or whatever is going on. And this movie, I think, and why I think you enjoy it, why I enjoyed watching it is it gives one hope and perspective on, yeah, you might be down and out and it's not trying to minimize what's going on. And yeah, this movie has a really schmaltzy, like everything comes together, although there's a reason for it and it's not like a cheap ending at all. The whole point of the movie builds to what happens at the end. So it's, I don't think it's a cheap ending, but it ends well for this person. But, you know, it's... This movie is about lost perspective, lost thought of dreams. Um, I think a lot in a lot of ways, it's just lost perspective. It's focusing on the wrong things, not realizing what one has. And I think a lot of people... Some of us, some people who are watching that are like, yeah, I like, I'm down to no money. I live by myself. You know, I have no family. I have, and so I have nothing. But I think a lot of us are also kind of reminded when we watch that movie of, yeah, you know, I I have true problems. It's not meant to diminish what's going on, but I also need to be reminded of what I, of where my cup do runneth over and where I have. Maybe not invest where I might be penniless. I've in, I have invested, or other people inv invested in me in things that matter more than um, than what than what I can than what I'm thinking about right now. So, what are you th your thoughts? Yeah, it's a wonderful life. Um, we always joke about it in my family uh, that Colton is the George Bailey. Um, <laughs> uh. And so when I say that it's like uh, uh, like I think we talked about it where I was like, oh, man, I'm going to cry or whatever when we watch it. And I'm I'm not going to lie to you. I literally I had tears. I had a salty. Cheeks. I had some salty. <laughs> it's like uh, but it's not about I was like, I think sometimes like the way that we present it with my parents is like I'm George Bailey or whatever, where, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm contemplating like is my life like worth it or whatever and and that kind of stuff but actually the things the thing that makes me their tears of of happiness where again <laughs> i i think there's a there's a there's a tv show where it's like a christmas episode and he's watching it's a wonderful life and the guy's crying and they're like what are you crying about and he's like he really does have a wonderful life. Like, and, he, and I'm like, and that is what you think when you finish that movie is you are just like, he really does have a wonderful life. Um, and I don't think that I'm not romantic about it uh, from the standpoint of where I think that if every single, if, if we all were put in George Bailey's position where we were all removed and we were able to see what life looked like. I'm not like his wife is non-married or, uh, you know, the whole town's gone to shit or whatever, you know. Sorry. I'm not of the mindset to believe that 
all of us are that significant. Like, I don't believe that the world revolves around us or our small towns revolve around us or whatever. That's not what I'm getting at here. Um, and that's not what makes me, what drives the message of this. But I do believe that every single person on this planet adds value and worth to the world that we live in. And so, and I think that this, that this movie presents it beautifully where it again, yes, it may be over dramatized where it's like, yeah, he's missing and everybody's, everybody that he knows and he loves their lives have gone to shit or it's completely different than what he wanted for and what they wanted for themselves. Right? Like the taxi cab driver, his wife left him and, uh, his kid and he hasn't seen his kid in years. Um, the, you know, uh, the guy who owned the bar doesn't own it or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying that every single one of our lives has that big of an influence where we completely change a town or whatever. But yet, I still think that there is something to be said about understanding that all of our lives, our life has a purpose and a meaning. And even if we don't necessarily see it, we touch other people. We We are such a... A communal species and that without us there is something that is missing from the community I'm not saying that the community would not survive or would not continue to go but there is something that is missed from it every single person in existence if they don't go and, and actually that's <laughs> I was like, I'm going to try and say it now without getting choked up about it is my in. And I told Tim when the movie ended, I was like, I held it all together until the brother said, because it meant something when he said, here's to my brother, the richest man in town. And it wasn't about the fucking money that he was saying it for. Or at least George knew that it wasn't about the money. No, it was because of the quote that was written in the book by the... No, the quote the, came after. That was the thing. Was it, it after? Was, it was after. So it, he says that. He gives the cheer. Well, they're, they're hand and in he hand. Notices, and then he notices the book down on there. And what does the book say? Remember, no man is a failure who has friends. No man is a failure who has friends. And that's when I lose it. Because I kind of try to live my life by, by that. I, 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 if, if someone... If I die, I hope someone says Tim collected friends. Everywhere Tim goes, he, he collects friends. And that doesn't mean I'm the best friend, and that doesn't mean I'm great at nope. keeping in touch with people, but relationships uh, are what keep me going. Relationship with my wife, relationship with friends, that's the octane that fuels my life. And so um, Frank Capra writes this movie. He directs it. He also wrote Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. He did a couple other movies with Jimmy Stewart, who stars, stars in this, and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Frank, Frank Capra is, is, has been known as America's uh, director, and it's because he writes movies. His movies are very idealistic. He lays out how he thinks what is best about America and how it should act. And your point is taken about how, the, how dramatic it is and... Drama, uh, dramatized in here's how life is with George and here's life without George. And and I know you're gonna I know you're gonna agree with me because I I agree with you. I think what 
the way I take this movie is, and I think if you watch this movie, particularly as a Christian, is this movie is a very good example of how this movie is like a mission statement on what it means to how to be in your relationships. And George is by no means, when you watch this movie, a perfect person. The whole time he's he's in a job he doesn't want to do. He's been foisted into a position he doesn't want to do. He, when he gets married, he wasn't really thinking about it. There's always, he has these things that he's that's tugging at him that he thinks he needs to go do. Because he's got this idealistic view of the world where like he's got a good, well, it's a very manly view of the world. It's a very, it's a view of the world that built America. It's, I'm going to go out and conquer the world. I'm going to go. 100% explore and conquer and build and build and cre and create things that people will remember me by and what he fails to remember think about is he's built friendships from when he's a little boy saving his brother all the way through he's been building his entire life yes just not the things that he's thinking about he's building friendships right. and i think if one's going to as we talked about after the Goodwill Hunting movie, I think it's good for Christians to look at movies and draw out what we can, what we can, even if it's not a Christian movie. In fact, most Christian movies are terrible, so there's not much to bring out of them other than preaching to the choir. Is this should be a mission? Watch this movie and then be my mission statement of this is how I'm going to go out when I'm in the workplace, when I'm interacting with friends, when I'm in church, when I'm in my small groups, whatever of building relationships, building relationships, building, being there for people, caring more about helping folks than making a buck. Um, Cause that's certainly part of this movie, but, and just being someone, someone can count on. Well, and I'm, and listen, I mean, there's, I don't, I don't not acknowledge that there's possibly some American propaganda in here where, you know, being content with your lot and all that kind of stuff and where the die have been cast and all that kind of stuff. Sure, you can make that claim if that's something that you want to make a claim for. I think that it's a it's a true reality in our world that I was like, I there was uh, somebody who I was talking about where I was like, I just, as a water polo coach, I was like, man, I, I really hate rivalry games in in our little small town where i was like in this town where i'm coaching where it's just like man i and people want blood like they <laughs> yeah. want it like and i'm like geez why the hell do they want blood and and somebody had to explain to me where they were like well listen like the, the people in that town are some of those people that are in that town that hold it so crucial to them they're never gonna leave they're not going anywhere right that's where they're going to live for the rest of their lives and all that kind of stuff. And so those things are extremely important to them. And so that's where I'm getting at with this whole thing is, is that if you want to sit there and say that it's American propaganda where it's like, Oh, just be complacent and be content with what you have. Um, it's, there's still an idea from that where it's, there is truth to that where, there are people in the world or people in the United States that are that are stuck that can't get out for a variety of different reasons. A multitude of reasons. And so it's 
and I don't think it's so wrong to sit there and reflect and still say that your life still has meaning even if you're not one to go out there and change the world. You're not going to be written about in history books or whatever. But understand that each relationship that you build, you have had an impact on that person and that person's life. You have... You've done more for people in just being there for them and being a friend than you could ever have going out and seeing the world and 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 trying to change the world. The people that are closest to you, you're able to have an impact on them more than I think that people realize. Yeah. I think that, again, that's the most beautiful thing about that movie is – is understanding that we are far richer because again of what the quote that you said than we could ever than money could ever equate to uh, that was most stark so in the in, if you're not familiar with the movie and you're like i'm gonna stick through this but i don't really care uh we've early in the movie we find out he saves his little brother in a ice accident. His brother falls in some icy water. He loses his hearing in one ear. So he saves his brother. Fast forwarders, his brother goes off to fight the war. George can't go because his because of his hearing. Um, his brother flies fighter jet uh, fighter planes, and uh, they make note of him. Saving two convoys. Saving a convoy ship with a bunch of, uh, a whole bunch of people on it. And then when George asks for his... And he wins the Congressional Medal of yeah, Honor. Yeah, he wins the Medal of Honor. Um, George asks for his life to be undone, so he now... All of that stuff, he never exists, and we find out that his... He, yeah, he never existed, because he never existed. <clears throat> his brother... Um, his brother dies in the incident that is shown and then is never there to save the ship. And so all those sailors on the boat died. And I don't find that that is a, that is the kind of thing one has to think about when you're like, when George is going through what he's going, like, what would it matter if I died though? Those are literally things people have moments in your life to what you were talking about before. It's, it's pebbles, it's throwing a pebble in a in a pond and you don't understand all of the rippling waves of how you've impacted somebody because you impacted somebody's life and then they said well not to not to well I'll just give a personal anecdote just to show this on how it does does come back and you find out okay this does matter so Colton's mentioned I've mentioned that I do my wife and I do financial uh peace kind of classes we don't do dave ramsey anymore we do something else but we were doing dave ramsey and one year we did it and we had uh this is actually perfect for the podcast we had uh we had about 10 15 people in there we had some older ladies in there who i think were just doing it to kind of manage their retirement but we had a we had someone in there i they, they she had just i think started going to the church her husband had basically left her They'd been married for a long time, I think over 10 years. 
Her husband forbade her to work because he wanted his wife in the house. And so he up and leaves her, leaves her with the house payment. She's not worked in a long time. So she's got a house payment, kids to pay, take care of, no job, meaningful job, recent job experience and bills to pay for. And she's just drowning. And she's got it by the, she's, when she's, she's at this point, she has a job and she's showing up late to the class. And one of the old biddies in the class was upset because she was showing up late every time. And I had to pull her, pull them, both of them aside and say, you need to give her some grace. Like she's holding on here and her showing up late in the middle of the Dave Ramsey talking for an hour and a half, not the point of why we're here. So she goes through the class and you know, you know, you can usually tell, you know, there's always some people who are more interested in it based on the feedback and the amount of work they're doing, that kind of thing. My wife runs into her, year year and a half later at a starbucks this woman just looks different and she says to my to my wife you have no idea how important that class was i have i got two jobs and now i have a really good paying job i got my bills all squared away i'm everything my everything's gotten turned around i'm, I'm and i'm on top of my finances and you know those are the kind of stories you want to hear but it's maybe you know that turned her life around maybe she told other people on hey this is how to live your life with finances and all that you just you never know you just but we just kind of go through life and we're usually just sort of frankly thinking about how people are enriching us yeah and that's just a natural tendency even as a christian of like and and I don't even mean that in a negative way. We look at people and we're like, oh, I feel enriched, Colton. You, I feel enriched by you. I feel enriched by my other friends. These are the things. But we don't really sit around. And I think the, there's a natural reason for that. We don't want to sound egotistical. Narcissistic. Narcissistic. Yeah, 100%. But when things are down, which is what this movie is, and again, taking it back to how we got started, I think a lot of people this time of year are watching this movie and they're thinking, what have I done with my life? What do I have to show for it? And sometimes just being you, I think a lot of times, not just sometimes, being you as long as you are a non-toxic person is, that's enough. Well, and I think that from this movie. And to be clear, George is not a saint. No, not at all. He is a a hole. I mean, I you, you were watching it, and I was like, "Why does she want to marry this guy?" Like, he's a he's a dick because he's so fixated about going out and say, and conquering the world. He doesn't even see that this girl's throwing herself at him. And I'm like, "Move on, honey." He, he's not interested. <laughs> but she just, I think we're supposed to think that read into it that she sees the man that he actually is and can be. She's not changing him. She just sees him for what he is and what he can be. And so, which is why there's a scene where they do get married. They get to go away on their honeymoon. The they're, They get married the day of the crash. Uh, the start of the depression. 
and his family owns a bank and they're about to leave and he's got to go take care of it and she's not mad at all and nope. you're thinking and he's thinking she's all right this is great we're supposed to go for our honeymoon she's not at all because this is the man she married whether he knew it or not this is the man she married 100 percent. which is another great lesson i think for today where marriage is so poo-pooed of you need someone who sees you better than you are, who will hold you up to that and not do it in a belittling way, but say like, you're my hero. You're, you're better than I am. Yeah. Or you make me better than I am. Yeah. Well, and I think, again, when it comes down to the whole story of what is it that everybody's so obsessed with when it comes to it's a wonderful life it's this idea that again and like i said before that every life has its value and that we may not see it and so like tim was talking about where you know somebody comes up and and here's the honest truth is that and and here and you may never, ever, ever in your entire life know that your life has value. But know that it does. Like, that's the hard part. And where George is at, and that's why Tim was talking about this kind of like masculinity where I got to like go out and conquer the world and all that kind of stuff. George, George has this idea where it's like the only way that my life has value is if I go out and I see the world and I do something crazy, I'm going to go, I'm going to go see what the world has for me. And, and he says, I'm going to come back and then I'm going to go to school and see what they have to teach me after that. And, you know, and, and go from there. He talks about the jobs that he's going to have before his brother comes home because his brother is going to be working in a factory or whatever and uh, in researching glass or whatever. And, and, and yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of this interesting situation that happens with George. And what's always tough is that he does is that again he sacrifices over and over his dreams and his ambitions for other people and which is tough i think for a lot of us we wouldn't be able to do that where it's like if it's something that you had or something that you wish would happen and and you wouldn't sacrifice it for other people i was like He's going away to college and they say, you know, his his dad died and so therefore he's not able to to go. He's got to take over the 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 business that's going to that's going to keep the corrupt leaders out of it. And and yeah, you got to sacrifice dreams, but that again, it's this idea that where we have dreams, we have expectations of what our life should be, but maybe that's not necessarily what God had planned for us or what. And I mean, that sounds pretty predestination. <laughs> it's just, that's not, yeah, that's not a, a very, a go to hell podcast, uh, phrase. 
That was very churchy. <laughs> Colton's had too much to drink. <laughs> Which is true. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I, keep I'm going, saying that, keep going. Keep no, going. And, and that's where I'm actually going to double down on this is shit may not, and, and this is where we're going to get go to hell podcasty, is that shit may not end up the way that you wanted it to be. And this is always where it's like, people are like, well, God's calling me to do this or God's calling me to do that. Because that was something that you dreamed about or that's something that you wished about and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, the only reason why those dreams were in my head is because God put them there. And it's like, God can use you wherever the fuck you are. I was like, Tim came after me with the whole, like, that's not very go to hell podcasty. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> now we're going to, now we're going to make it go to hell podcasty. Now we're going to really earn that, <laughs> yeah. now we're going to really earn that E. We're going to earn that title. Um, but in all seriousness is that there is every, every single person. And this is, I, listen, I, I've been in that boat where I, I didn't feel like I had value unless I went to, you know. I went away to college or whatever, or I went and I made big money and, and, and Tim's actually talked about it on this podcast before where there is something about our, about my generation where we believe that we got to go out there and we got to change the fucking world. Yeah. It's, I think it's toxic as hell. Um, cause it leads to bitterness. It leads to, the it same, leads to depression is more yeah, what I would say. Yeah, or it's and, like, if you don't yeah, go out there and well, change the world, well then you're fucking depressed. Like you're just like, well, I didn't, that's my life literally didn't the movie we just watched. Yeah. You didn't, uh, your life didn't amount to anything. If you didn't go out there and you're not going to be written about in history books. Right. Right. But it's, but that's the thing about it where it's, you're, <laughs> but we have that same problem in Christianity. 100%. Even even if it's not a big grandiose plan of I'm going to go start the new mega church and all that, I would say even just the idea of I'm going. And yes, there's we've talked we had a podcast about how the Great Commission there's the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. But if your life's mission and some of us are called to go out and be missionaries, I'm sure. But if your mission is to be bring people to Jesus, that's not your mission. Your mission, I I think. Even if you're a missionary, it's to bring people to Jesus through relationships. And if you're out there just like doing a Christian version of like collecting scalps, then it's going to lead to the same sort of disillusionment and depression and sense of I'm going to kill myself that George Bailey has. 100%. I fully agree. And at the end of the day, if look... The world doesn't advance either from a Christian worldview or a secular worldview without people without grandiose dreams and young people going out and conquer, figuring they're going to conquer the world. I'm not trying to say don't have big dreams, but if you're going to do it, do it like George Bailey, where you have meaningful relationships keeping you grounded so that when your dreams or when there's a bump in the road on the way to what still might happen that dream might manifest itself two years or two months or five years or 10 years or 20 years later than you thought it did you have those relationships to go back to like george does and say like okay but i still have friends i still have people that that are what i've collected i have relationships that i've collected that keep me grounded that keep me sustained that keep me fueled 
to pick myself up and know that the world's not lost and I haven't wasted my life because this thing that I haven't done hasn't been achieved. You've still been meaningful to other people and hopefully you, you know, those people have been meaningful to you, which is part of, I mean, that's the ultimate thing of the movie and why it's not trite. George. And also why you can argue that it's not a Christmas movie. Correct. George, because of the business his father creates, which is a home home. It's basically like a credit union for buying a house. He's derided through the whole movie, including by George, as this idealistic moron of a businessman. But George keeps doing it, and he ultimately he buys into the he believes in it. He has multiple opportunities to turn away throughout the movie, and he leans into it. So it's not like, on the one hand, he's criticizing his father, but he also believes in it, and and so. Because he has been there for so many people, at the end, he has this community who can, without even him leaning into, his wife does, but they, and you know, what's interesting, I think the punctuation on that scene is not, is the the scene where everyone's coming in with the money and you're seeing all these people from the movie that at some point George is loaned money to or. He gets the wire from his high school buddy yeah. who is also sweet on his wife and dating his wife at the time that his George's mom says, you need to go call on that girl because she loves you. She doesn't give a darn about the guy that is sweet on her. This guy is so important to George that they don't lose their friendship. This guy moves on. He marries another girl. And when he finds out George needs money... He doesn't give him what he needs. He gives him three, pretty much almost threefold of what he needs. Exactly. Without even thinking about it. Without asking what you need. Just like, here's the money. Because you're a friend. Hee-haw and Merry Christmas. And hee-haw and Merry Christmas. Because they were brothers in every sense of... And, and it's just it's that kind of brotherhood or sisterhood that builds up where you're just like, yeah, what do you... like? What do you need? Why are you even like thinking this is an issue? Like I'm mad at you. You're you're not mad because you asked. You're mad like why didn't you ask me five days ago? Like why didn't you come to me from the beginning? 100%. Which he doesn't even do. He's just like yeah, here's the money. So, and you say, well, that's kind of schmaltzy. No, that's actually, but that's I, I, that is what Christian community is supposed to be. Hundred percent. And Capra's framing it as this is what America and small town is supposed to be. And one could argue, yeah, because small towns in America used to be hopefully built around uh, Christian values. But what we're really talking about is a Christian ethos of just, yeah, you take care of me. I take care of you. It all comes back. Pay it forward. It gets paid back. Yeah, there's a sense of community there. And that's what we're supposed to be is this is this community that takes care of one another. Um, I love every time he gives money out. He says, he goes out of his way to say it's a loan, but you can tell it's bullshit. He's not, there's no. Yeah. Right. Like what, so the, what you're talking about is the scene where 
the is when the crash happens and so they come in and people keep saying and they're like because one again they know that it's george's money because his wife shows up and says it's supposed to be their honeymoon money and he shows up and he's like he's like how much do you need and people are like there's one guy who's a stickler but everybody else is like i could use 20 bucks to get by whatever 1750 and they're like but george it's your money and he's like no nah, i this is what i how much do you need and she says like this is it but i you know like i'll pay you back and he's like yeah I, do you need me to sign papers and like you don't need to sign papers it's a loan it's a loan but you don't need me to sign because he knows it's a loan it's like you pay me back you'll pay me back it just occurred to me isn't it eight thousand dollars? It's not to the penny, but it's eight thousand dollars that they have for the honeymoon, isn't it? Is I don't it know. eight or a ten? I didn't hear what she said. How she much says that they... she says a number. I don't remember. I I want to say that it's ten thousand okay. actually. Um. Anyway, so it's a great movie. It's frankly a movie that could be watched three or four times a year. Just to ground yourself, particularly when you're feeling sorry for yourself. Just be like, I need to pop this movie in. Uh, there are only two movies in my entire childhood that were staples for something that needed to be watched annually. It is, it is, It's a Wonderful Life. Do you know what the second movie no, is? No, you probably about, told me. I was like, I don't remember. It's The Quiet Man. Oh, The Quiet Man, absolutely. <laughs> With John Wayne. So I was like, "Is what are the two? Uh, those are the two movies where it's like once a year. And I actually, I called my mother this morning and we talked about, I was like, yeah, we're going to, I'm going to watch uh, The Quiet Man. We're going to talk about it on the podcast. And she said, the, it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Yes. Thank you. Sorry. No, it's quiet. It's a quiet man. I think that's what I said. Uh, <laughs> it's a wonderful life. Uh, I told her that that's what we're watching this morning. And she was like. I remember the first time that I watched that movie and and she's like me and your father need to watch it this year but it just changes your perspective on so much. And I fully agree. I think that this movie changes your perspective. Where you sit there and you watch it and I think actually the acting is really good in that movie. I was like for that for the time and all that kind of stuff well, you talked about George Bailey being a bomber pilot. Let, let's or... let's get into that. Let's get into that because there most a lot of the actors in. So if you're, it doesn't actually doesn't matter what age you are. Uh, if you've if you watch old movies and you're like, why is the acting so cheesy, kind of over the top, uh, in seemingly inauthentic to what I watch today, so. In the 30s, a movement came about in the United States. It was actually based on a Russian, I can't remember the Russian guy's name, but an American named Lee Strasberg started teaching uh, method acting, which was basically what we know today, what most actors do. And if it goes, and if it goes, Keith Ledger knows a lot about that. Yeah, if it goes overboard like Keith Ledger, then it leads to things like suicide. It's, It's a reason why. Daniel Day Lewis left acting because it was so taxing for because he's very much into method acting. But before you just delivered lines and you know if you were supposed to be happy then you just you know you just acted happy. There wasn't like 
there was no I you know what motivates this character and all the stuff that we do now. Most of the people in this movie are doing that. In fact, yeah. there was a scene that I was not actually a funny scene, but when when George is in in the alternate reality where he doesn't exist and he's trying to get his wife to recognize him, she runs away and in a very like overly acted way she screams and oh and like, faints. She yeah. faints and it's 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 what you expect out of that time. Jimmy Stewart was not a method actor. No. Uh method acting in Hollywood didn't actually, you know, Strasburg started in the thirties, but you didn't start seeing it until the fifties with Marlon Brando was the first one. You had J- James Dean and then it took off. James Stewart Jimmy Stewart was not a method actor. However, I will argue in this movie, non-intentionally, he is method acting. He's not method acting. He is living out his demons. So you say, why is that? So James Stewart, Jimmy Stewart, before the war, biggest actor in Hollywood. He's up there. War breaks out. He joins like so many uh, actors, famous people. He joins the war effort. Uh, He... I'm shocked I didn't know this. I told you this before, but when I was looking this up a couple weeks ago. So, Stewart is a a bomber pilot in Europe. I think he flew B-25s. So, he flies mission. He he gets assigned as a bomber pilot. They send him over. Which also, also, just so we're clear, I think if you haven't watched History Channel and don't know what a bomber pilot is. Oh, yeah. It's... in the 1940s, that was a death sentence. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're, 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 you're living on. It's like casino. You're, you're gambling your. Yeah, life. you're gambling your yeah, life. Yeah, hundred percent. You're living Whereas on borrowed like, time. I was it's like, you're hundred percent. Like, just know you're dead, and if you end up not dead, then you're, yeah, you're lucky. That's a miracle, is what that happened. Well, the Army Air Corps is not, uh, not aware of this too, and they're like, we can't lose our most beloved actor, so they have him like doing training missions or something in. England for a while and he he's like this is not what I signed up for right so he basically complains up the chain of command I mean for all I know he complained to like Eisenhower himself or somebody but he finally causes such a ruckus that they assign him to a bomber wing well in 1945 he's run enough missions and survived obviously but he gets PTSD because he's lost so many airmen in his wing and all the flack and stuff one deals with with flying missions over Europe. So he gets grounded. War ends. He comes home. He goes back home to his parents' house, stays there for a couple weeks. And he loves a drinking problem. Beats the shit out of his kids. <laughs> He's not married. He stays with his parents, realize, and says, I got to get back into Hollywood. Because it's this. He's not in a good place. No. Goes back to Hollywood, has no place to live when he goes back to Hollywood. He he and Henry Fonda lived together, and Henry Fonda had served in the Pacific. So they basically live together, try to get gigs. No one's hiring him because Hollywood's moved on. And he and Capra have done some things before, and Capra comes to him, or his agent says, what do you want to do? And he says, what I want to do is a comedy. I want to do a comedy. America's had enough... Of this dark shit. That's true. I want to do a comedy. And Capra comes in and says, well, I have this movie 
that I'd really like you to do. They talk him into doing it. So, why do I bring all that up? There are scenes in this movie where he shows rage. And there's one in particular where he goes, he's basically, his uncle has lost $8,000. He knows either, he's told his uncle, I'm not going to jail, you're going to go to jail. Uh, He knows he's probably going to the clink. And it's also his pent up boy, little boy dreams are boiling over again and even though he's got this great wife and children who love him in this house and friends and all the stuff that we he finds out later that he has that he's not he's still fixated on his little boyhood dreams and it boils over and he goes on a rant in this two-story house and when you're watching it it's it's very un Jimmy Stewart like. You're not you really used to Jimmy Stewart like that. You're uncomfortable. But when you read what he he still has PTSD at this point in real life. And there's been several books written, but there's a definitive book and basically this was method acting. Well, it wasn't method acting. They basi- he just basically lit his PTSD loose in these scenes and apparently it was quite tense on the set and people were very uncomfortable but um it brings out Stewart in this movie is unbelievable he is unbelievable and it but you can tell he is the demons he's had to deal with for the three or four years before are coming out and he's letting them loose and the rage and the anguish and all of that is just getting lit loose on his wife and these kids. And she she shows that pretty well in those scenes, too. She's just like, oh. Um, apparently, he lost a lot of weight, too. He didn't look very good. I never read to see how they... If you're not really sure how they make movies, movies are never filmed. Well, rarely are movies filmed. There's uh, If you've watched Almost Famous, Almost Famous is actually filmed in order, which is crazy because no one ever does that it's, it's super expensive but i've never seen almost famous i think uh, we talked about this we've though. talked about but if they're always filmed out of order so like if someone's got long hair before and during and all that they'll film all the mo- scenes first with the long hair and then they cut the hair and then they do that so there's J- jimmy looks pretty young and fit for the first two-thirds of it and then um right. when we get to the scene where it boils over <laughs> He's got stubble, and he's got massive uh, bags bags under his uh, under his eyes. And they've allowed they've either added gray. It's probably real gray. It's probably gray from actual what he experienced in the war. The, they've now taken the dye out of his hair, and he's got gray on the side. Sorry, he's got gray on the side, and you're just like, damn, he's aged like 15 years. And I think he's just like, yeah, this is me when I'm not on the set of a movie with a with a. That's uh, what it seems like. Hair with a stylist and a makeup person. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Jimmy did a phenomenal job in that movie, and we talked about it where it was like. I think his acting in that movie is phenomenal. I, I don't. 
I was like, if it brings me to tears, like you must have sold me. Like I was like, there's something that you did that just sold me. You know, it's not like a a cheap movie or anything like that. It's just ah man. I mean, like I we joked about it tonight or or this morning where I was like, yeah, there's parts that make you uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> I I told Tim I was like. Yeah, anytime he kisses his wife, his wife's like, just like, it seems like she's getting her face smushed by whatever it is that Joe's uh, trying to do. Yeah, it's that overly passionate kissing that some of those movies did where you're just like. Yeah, you're just like, what they're the just heck like is happening here? Kissing all over and it's just like, it, it's a, it's a attack, it's a sissy uh, attack of, of, of uh, what did I say? The, yeah, it's attack of my face. Yeah, and like the press in on like every single one of his kisses is like, okay, all right. So we started this whole thing. We'll wrap up with this discussion. Okay. This movie comes out in probably 46, 47. I don't know. You're on the Wikipedia article. Tell us when. Nineteen forty-seven, January seventh, nineteen forty-seven. Wow. And keep in mind, we always forget this as Americans. We go off and fight Korean War a couple years later, and a lot of people who served in World War Two served in the Korean War. So, and this is after World War One, where everyone said "not again." I have to. Th- I don't know at what point this became a Christmas movie, but I have to think. That this movie was really, I, this really set was a was a movie people needed to see who have had lost family and friends in World War Two, and were feeling that loss and just feeling like okay, but I still have something. I don't know. That just it's uh, Brett, for it to come that soon after, I fully agree. And then maybe that's how it just got set in and then somehow became a Christmas movie. Like realizing like we st- we've we lost a lot of things, including family. I've lost a son. I've lost a brother. I've lost whatever and a father. But I still have I still have friendships. I still have relationships. I, I have value because of what I can provide in those friendships and those relationships. That's fair. But again, don't get me wrong. I- I don't think that this movie is not American propaganda. But at the same point, I believe that there's a really good message behind this movie that people should take. Regardless of... We can acknowledge that something may have been produced or may have... Maybe coming across your plate and it has ulterior motives or whatever or for the time and that kind of stuff. But we can still sit there and say that there is a good message that we can take from it that we can believe in and... And that's what I fully agree about this movie is that though I don't necessarily believe in in all of it, and actually I was like, this movie's <laughs> there. I'm I don't know. I feel like a lot of conservatives watch this movie nowadays. <laughs> I was like, if you want to talk about Potter and like all that kind of stuff, I was like, oh, that guy's out there 
doing the conservative agenda. Of just yeah, like, it's it's very it's very much a uh, populist movie. It's, yeah, it's very progressive for yeah. its time for sure. Um, well, I don't actually. It's not progressive for its time. I was like, FDR was the president just before, and he died, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, it is. Again, it just for what we take for it, or what we take from it in 2023, is that. We need to acknowledge as far as what we can take from this is is one what I said earlier where our lives have value. Every single one of us has some sort of impact and again, it's not like George Bailey where you can go to the where if you were taken out of the equation is your wife non-married and not happy and just kind of this old maid and um is everybody in the town not happy because of or your old friends not happy because of what it is that you did for them or whatever it's not what i'm getting at but i am saying that Everything that we do has an impact on this world, and through that process of impact in this world, it actually has what you said earlier, where it's like you throw a pebble in the pond and you don't understand what your ripple effects do. If you affect one person, that person affects another person, which affects other people, and it continues down the line. That's where a lot of people have talked about where ancestry matters and like as a person who sits there and says i don't care what my ancestors did or and that kind of stuff but understanding that what they have been through and what the country has been through and what the world has been through has influenced me to make the decisions that i made up until this point um tim bought me a book um a couple months ago and i finished reading it uh a couple weeks ago and it was actually about coaching and basketball. And I don't coach basketball. But I think that Coach K from Duke has a lot to say. But one of the things that he says in his final chapters is he talks about kids don't change. Um, the culture does. Yep. The kids still want the same damn thing. Mm-hmm. And it's true with our world is that we still want the same thing. But the culture changes. And so through that, we're not able to get... Well, I mean, we're able to get stuff, but... As the culture changes, we're not able to develop in... Well, we are. I, I don't know. I'm like coming back. I, I, I just keep going back and forth on some of this where it's just like like it's not. But at the same time, we are. At the, it's not. It's at the same time we are. It's just. Well, I said last thing you, you were you talking spurred something I think else we need something else we need to talk about. And we you've mentioned a couple of times the starkness of 
here's the world without George Bailey and here's the world with George Bailey. And the world without George is, it's literally just bleaker. Like everyone looks, everything about the town, the town looks darker, it's shabbier, everyone looks disheveled, uh, everyone looks tired. Uh, He goes to a bar that's kind of like, (laughs) more of like a family place. If a restaurant and bar can be a family place to a place where it's clear, it's like a uh prohibition underground kind of place um all kinds of shadiness is going on including colored people playing instruments that was kind of odd but that was <laughs> but like, why did they make a note of that because yeah, it was, that was, like, it was that very was a little, that was i was like mm, okay that's a little uncomfortable but all right it was very specifically placed um they basically made it seem like the town was now racist because of george bailey not being there did you not feel that Yes. Okay, okay. I was like, what? No, and and that also goes... That's absolutely true, because... um, And whether or not you think it was great for white people to have colored people, as they used to call them back when they had them, as housemaids, or basically... Look, a lot of those folks were people, were family members, and so, yeah, it was not... You might look down on colored people being the servants servants of white people but those people had meaningful relationships and whether you find that important or not it's properly portrayed in the movie in the positive way of this woman loves george at the end of the movie like she would her own child and loves and loves the and family, loves the right? family. Like that's the whole thing she's a member she, of the family she goes like what he says Dad, you're the greatest person I know, or whatever. Yeah, George says she's, to his a, dad. I'm proud. she's a. I'm proud. One of you kids named said yeah, it already. Right. Like I was like, I heard it. I'm glad one of you guys <laughs> finally said it. But <laughs> but so I brought all this up because there's a scene where the evil Mr. Potter in the movie is offering George a deal he can't refuse. Yes. And having not watched this movie in a while, I'm watching. I'm watching the scene, and I'm like. Wait a minute, there's a skull sitting on this dude's desk. And then they cut back and forth and there's three or four cuts. Well, as you pointed out, well, but, but astutely, no, but they they cut back and forth and I'm like I'm waiting to see it again to point it out cuz I'm like, did I just see that? No, but I And then they finally show it again and I said, that's a skull on his head on Yeah, and to which Tim acutely points out, oh, he must be a Mexican. <laughs> yes, and I said he must be Mexican. <laughs> Uh, he's, he, he celebrates Dia de los Muertos. It's not during Christmas season. Uh, so. Yeah, no, it's more for the fall. Um, <laughs> it's a fall movie. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to rat um, out. Is <laughs> it was a, it was a great uh, uh, what's the TS? No, uh, the where the ro- the two robots and the dude make fun of movies. It was a great. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Uh, George is ready to make a deal. He's got to go run it past his wife. He shakes the dude's hand. And you point out correctly, he's literally George. When whatever sense he gets, he's figured out like I'm literally shaking the hand of the devil. Right. And I'm not making this deal. And I think that actually, I think, which I would imagine a lot of modern critics would point out like how shallow, like stark you've been pointing out how stark it is. Like here it is with George and here it is. I think 
what the depth of the movie is to show it's not it's not really what the world is without George. It's the here's what the world is without Georges. Oh, good. Here's what the world is with Potters, where everyone's making a deal for themselves. So you have the bartender who owns the place and he's a only out for himself. He's not out for family and whatever. And so he's just going to have a place where he's going to serve booze and all kinds of other shadiness that goes on at a place where colored people play instruments, I guess. <laughs> whatever that was. <laughs> and then it's funny that you picked up on that because I was picking up on this. Yeah, I was just thing. like, this is kind of odd. <laughs> like, OK, um, all right. All right. We, we can't have a we can't have a movie from the 40s without some sort of at least low-grade racism uh even that's coming from me who's not even you know i'm hey i don't i'm glad you picked up on that because i was picking up on it too so but i think that's where that comes in is here's what the world looks like when everyone's out for themselves it's not that george is removed from it's that george and how george is impacting the community and all and it's just everyone is now potter and what happens the devil runs the the devil owns everything and we're now subserving it to what the devil wants and all of the terrible things that that comes with the devil running the world i fully agree i actually i like including it. a cop shooting at a guy who just punches him in the face that was the other scene where you and i were laughing Wow. George pump George <laughs> I was I was laughing because of the cops just like hey, everybody stand back and he's just shooting from the hip fucking firing at this dude running down George, the street George punches this cop because he's friends with him in his other in the real world and apparently back in the day you could just pull your gun and shoot a guy in the back for for punching you but yes, as you said, from the hip, he's just shooting in Main Street like stray rounds and <laughs> yes, killing exactly. toddlers and 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 widows as they as they sit by their window. Yeah, there's cars driving by, <laughs> pedestrians, all that shit. He's not even looking down the sights of his gun; <laughs> just straight up <laughs> hitting nothing. He empties like five, six rounds and out there and hits nothing. <laughs> oh man, Hollywood. Um, in all white like, on white violence, though. Yeah, it was white on white the entire time. <laughs> I know we talked about racism at, earlier, but I was, uh, that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, no, but it, <laughs> I agree. I actually, I I don't think I've ever thought about that for this movie. Is the, what does the world look like without George's? Every every part of the world, if. Because that's something to be said. It's not that necessarily that George has a wonderful life. But George has cared so deeply for other people. Yeah. The entirety of it. And it rubs off on other people. Yes. His dad rubbed off on him. His dad rubbed off on him? Again, I, I made it clear. He he's doing what his dad wants. He's living like his dad, even though the whole time he's like, my dad's an idiot. He's a terrible businessman. I don't want to do this. But he's still doing what his dad did. He's he's the chip off the old block, even though he doesn't want to be the chip off the old block. Right. And where it is. And that's and and again, that's the key part where it's it's not about it's not about George Bailey is so significant. It's about what he 
what he does that makes him so significant. What does a community of George Bailey's look like? A community that continually cares and loves for every single person in the world. Can we bring up the the girl who likes it, who really wants him, but who's also like the town hussy? want to bring up about her well i think it's interesting that she says she doesn't want to leave she's he gives her money when everything's going downhill well right before everything's going downhill he gives her money so she can go off and we're talking about violet by the way if you've seen the movie it's violet who's kind of just implied like the she's the town slut she's a town slut and and potter makes a comment that george is like Oh yeah, he he basically says like she's apparently had your baby or something. You're paying her off, or she's your mistress. Right, she's his mistress. He's so when everyone's coming in and paying him money, paying back what, giving him, giving back to him what they've given to him, she comes in and says, "I've decided not to move." Which was only like what? That's it's only been like. 12 hours since I know I it's look in some respects it's a trite thing I bring it up because I think it goes back to what we we were just talking about where she's decided I want to live in a town of George Bailey's and not go off live and live in Gotham (laughs) (laughs) which is which is the bleak world where I'm going to be fending for myself and if you know I find I can't find work then you know I'll be at the mercy of some dude who's willing to pay for my lifestyle but you know i got to do all kinds of stuff i'm not i'm not really thrilled about so i mean that you know i, I don't think it's too much to read into that she's it's like gonna... my face has to look black and blue for the entire day. <laughs> yeah, exactly it'll look like you after after you've flown a b25 mission <laughs> yeah uh all right oh yeah all right are you done no i'm good final christmas notes thoughts to everybody this christmas i wish you a happy holidays um and that hopefully like i said that this or as we talked about on this podcast is that it's a uh it can be a very happy time of year and it can also not be yeah and to which if you are listening to this podcast and it's not a happy time of year, please reach out. At the very minimum, reach out to Tim and I to where if you're listening to this, we would love to love on you and, and care for you in this time where maybe you're feeling like George Bailey and you're sitting there and saying it'd be better than I've never been born. Yep. And I was like, I'm not saying that we know how many listeners we have and we know how what our what our demographic is and all that kind of stuff but if you're listening to this and you're like they don't care they're just a a voice on the other side i i guarantee you that me and tim will 100 percent reach out to you and connect with you on whatever issue that it is that you're having because we truly believe in this idea of connection and and helping those that are struggling in this time and and Christmas time, it can be very happy for some, 
and it can be very depressing for some. And so we want to be there for those that are in that time of need. So that's just what I would say as the final end where it's like, I don't, Tim always says like, comment, respond, whatever to whatever it is. If you have comments or concerns, but in all seriousness, if you have something that's pressing on you, please don't be ashamed to reach out. We're, we'd love to talk to you, hang out with you. We'll buy you a beer. Yeah. <laughs> so anything else from you? Uh, 100% agree with what you're saying. And I will just, my message for Christmas will be kind of what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Uh, one of the messages for Christmas is peace on earth and goodwill towards humanity. And wherever you go, please be that your please that be your message. Peace on earth, goodwill to humanity. And with that, I'm not going to wish anybody to go to hell. I wouldn't either. A merry Christmas. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>